Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and, and we've been kind of going through Mark and then taking a couple little detours and, and talking about some things, but uh, since September of last year, we have been going through the gospel of Mark, and today we find ourselves in Mark chapter 10. And I'm going to read it, and then uh, we're going to, uh, to talk about it. And uh, for the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the topic of marriage. And uh, next week, we're going to talk about the roles in marriage, and uh, I believe Cece's going to join me in talking about that, because I'm not speaking to the women. I'm going to have a woman speak to the woman, um, because I just think that's wise. Um, I maybe have grown in a little wisdom over the years. But, uh, so we're going to talk about roles of a husband and wife next uh, week, and then um, in the following week, we're going to get into some more uh, practical and specific things. And then in the back of my mind, I uh, think it'd be fun to have uh, like a panel discussion at some point uh, in, the couple, in the next couple weeks to hear some of your stories. So uh, I might be asking a few of you to join me up here and share uh, your thoughts. Maybe get a younger couple that's newly married, maybe a couple that has been married over 50 years, mom and dad, or others um, that have been... Anybody beat 50 years? Anybody? You guys are at 50 years. Anybody more than 50 years married? That's amazing. Good job. Keep going. Um, so anyway, so we're going to be talking about marriage. Um, so here's, what, uh, here's uh, the passage that we're diving into. Mark chapter 10. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, He left there, went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. You know, when I look at Scripture, when I look at what Jesus says about marriage, and when I look about what Scripture says about marriage, Scripture is so countercultural when it comes to marriage. There is, uh, and we'll find out later as, as I share about this, there is an empowerment uh, to women. And there's a challenge and an encouragement uh, to men, giving them purpose, calling them higher, calling them into who they were created to be. There's so much power and potential in marriage. And so I get excited to hop into this passage. And I know, though, when, when we talk about marriage, I know in this room there are uh, those who have, have walked with their spouses and have um, had the ups and downs, but have had so much joy in marriage. But I also know that there's a lot of pain in this room. There's a lot of brokenness in this room. And I pray, my prayer is at the end of this morning that there would be hope for those who are hurting, that there would be healing for those who are uh, in pain. Because even in this passage, there is hope. Even in the last couple verses, there's a lot of hope. And you're like, how do you find it in there? Oh, just wait. It is in there. There's so much hope for the hurting because that's who Jesus is. He brings hope and healing to the hurting. He wants us to have life and have it abundantly. I've been married 23 years. It's easy to remember because it's 2023. Well, not 23 years. It'll be 23 years on August 18 
Uh, but on August 18, 2000, this was me and my beloved wife, Cece, walking out of the aisle of Hope College, a Dimna Chapel in Hope College. And look at those smiling faces walking out of that, uh, that chapel. And here was us outside of the chapel after the ceremony, because we took pictures after the ceremony. I did not see her until she walked down the aisle. But as I look at that face, as I looked at that picture this week, I looked at that young man and I reflected on how much I didn't know at the time. Like, you look at that young man, and, and he didn't realize at that time how selfish he was. He didn't realize how much marriage was going to grow him and reveal things in him that had to go. Also, he didn't realize what was in him and, and, and the things that God had gifted him in. But I also didn't realize, he didn't realize that uh, his way of doing things wasn't the only way of doing things. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> I'm about to. I didn't realize that you could actually follow the instructions on the back of a mac and cheese box and actually get mac and cheese. I thought you just threw it in. I, I, I didn't realize that you could actually be a little bit messier in life and uh, actually get some things done. I didn't realize either how painful life could be. Because within a year, we would have gone through a loss. I didn't realize I could frustrate somebody so much that they would lock themselves in the bathroom and talk to me through the door. Now, to defend Cece, she only did that once, in our, it was early on in our marriage. But I also didn't realize, I didn't realize the depth of friendship that's possible in marriage. And I didn't realize that I was going to get choked up at this time. I didn't realize that you can live with your best friend. I didn't realize, the man standing there didn't realize the gift that God had given him, in the, given him in the person next to him. At that time, I didn't realize the power and the potential of marriage. And there's still so much that I don't know, but after 23 years and having the joy of walking with people through the ups and the downs and, and actually being on a stage and, and performing a ceremony, I, at this moment in my life, just have so much passion when it comes to marriage because I see the potential and the power in it. But what I did realize at that time, I did realize that I was ready to give my life to somebody else. I remember talking with a friend of mine, and I remember him saying, Dave, it's not so much about uh, be, or finding the right person, it's about becoming the right person. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it is true. Because I got to a point in my life where I'm like, I'm ready to share my life, I'm ready to, to lay my life down for somebody. And I also knew as I was standing there that, that love wasn't a feeling, but love was a commitment, Love was a commitment that I saw in other people. Love is, frankly, a commitment that I see in this room with, with many people who have walked faithfully with their, their spouses for so many years. And I learned that a couple months before, that, that love wasn't this feeling but was this commitment because shortly before we were married, shortly before that picture was taken, Cece had her tonsils out. Now, tonsils, you know, tonsil surgery isn't a big deal when you're two, but it's a bigger deal when you're 22 or 23, however old she was. 
And she struggled for a couple weeks after, after her tonsil surgery. She couldn't eat. She couldn't, um, she was weak. And I remember she's like, I need something in my body. And so she uh, drank that slim fast stuff. She's like, I need something. And so she put that down. And then we were driving in downtown Holland by the old Pizza Hut. And I turned off of 8th Street onto that road. And all of a sudden, she lost all of the slim fast all over my truck. In that moment, I realized love was not a feeling because I wasn't feeling it at that moment. Now, feelings are good. Feelings are a part of that, but that's not where they can start and stay. Love must be a commitment. And so as we talk about marriage over the next little bit, I want those of us in this room, as we approach this, if you're married here, and if I say something about your spouse, I don't want you to elbow them. I don't want you to be like, hey, this is for you. Hey, he's talking to you. And frankly, throughout the week, if you talk about your marriage, please don't bring me up in the midst of an argument or a conversation. (laughs) Instead, I want you to ask this question, what about me? what, What is in this for me? How can I grow and how can I prepare? How can I deal with the pain maybe from the past? How can, what does God want to do in me? And to that end, I encourage you throughout the week, and this is why we're doing this on Wednesdays, like to come together and have conversations. And here's what I found out too. Every marriage needs work. There's no perfect marriage because there's no perfect people. Every marriage needs work. And because of that, there's pain in marriage. And so I encourage you I encourage you to to open up your heart to the Lord and allow Him to deal with the pain maybe that you have stuffed or maybe the pain that you've experienced. You know, it's interesting. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus is teaching the crowd. And he's teaching them. And and I love that picture of Jesus that as he sees this crowd, he's, he's teaching the crowd. He always was teaching them about the kingdom of God. And the Pharisees came up to him. And they asked this question. They said, you know, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Can a man divorce his wife, Jesus? Is it lawful? Hey, Jesus, what do you, what do you think about marriage? Hey, Jesus, what's your view on marriage? Isn't that a question that people are asking today? I mean, we've heard that question in our culture. Jesus, what's your view on marriage? And their intentions there were to test him. Actually, in the NLT, it says they were wanting to trap him, which I love that it reveals the intentions of their heart. They wanted to test him or to trap him. Now, in their culture, how they viewed marriage, the opinions that they had of marriage were, were quite low. Actually, people, men viewed women as property. And so really what was coming out of this, this question was they're like, can we get rid of our wives for any reason? Actually, if you look at Matthew 19, this was the question that the Pharisees asked because it was Jewish, the Jewish law permitted divorce, but the question that these men, these Pharisees were asking was, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? For any reason. Because there was two different uh, schools of thought. One said you could divorce your wife uh, if she had been unfaithful. Another said you could divorce your wife for any reason, any reason. If they made a bad dinner, if they annoyed you, if they embarrassed you, if they looked at you wrong, you could divorce her for any reason. Now, let me pause here. Like, these guys are asking this question, and as I read scripture this week, I'm like, these guys are tools. They're frankly, like, thinking about how can I divorce my wife? I mean, that, because they were 
they're like putting the blame on the women. And you see the culture that existed in that time where in John chapter 8, the Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in adultery to the feet of Jesus. In John 8, this is, this is what happens. And I, I think about, like, they, they put the woman in front of Jesus and they say that the law says that a woman caught or a person caught in adultery, uh, you, you should stone her. Every time I read that question or that, that interaction, I'm like, where was the guy? Why didn't they bring the guy? It takes two to tango. Like, there was two there. They caught him in the act of adultery. Why didn't they bring two? But that was the, the culture that existed. There was this culture, this, this low view of marriage. And then on top of that, Jesus was in the area where John the Baptist had lost his life. And do you remember why John the Baptist lost his life? He called out Herod for taking his brother's wife. And Herod's wife, his former brother's wife, was really upset and had John beheaded. This, was, this happened before Jesus got to this area. This would happen in the same area, so people would have been talking about it. And you think about that. John the Baptist, he lost his life over his view of marriage. John the Baptist, who Jesus said that there was no one else who had been born, a greater born of a woman than John the Baptist, he lost his life over his view of marriage. And so this was going on in that culture. As they are asking Jesus this question, as they're testing him, they're trying to trap him, the heart of their question, their motivation behind it is all like, if Jesus says, no, you can't divorce your wife, then Herod is going to kill him. Maybe the same thing would happen to John the Baptist, to Jesus that happened to John the Baptist. Because we see earlier in Mark that the Pharisees and the Herodians were working together against Jesus. But if Jesus said, you can, if he answered the question that way, then they could keep their low view of marriage and divorce would continue to be easy, which is what they wanted. Now, I look at this question. And I look at the word where it says that they were trying to trap him or they were testing him. And this screams to me that there has been and there always will be, sadly, an attack on marriage. I mean, they have a very low view of marriage, and they're attacking marriage in Jesus' day. And frankly, the enemy has been attacking marriage going all the way back to the garden. I mean, look at when he tempted Eve and, and the chaos that unfolded in Genesis 3 when, there, when, when Eve sinned. All of a sudden, Adam is blaming Eve for what happened. And there's chaos. The enemy is always attacking marriage, trying to get people to devalue marriage or redefine marriage. He's trying to destroy the family. Why? Because we see in this passage a very interesting phrase. It says, what God has joined together. What God joins together. The enemy always wants to destroy a work of God. And if you think about that, if you think about your marriage, if you think about marriages, when God brings together a man and a woman, it is a supernatural work of God. It is a miracle. And so every time, the enemy is on the attack. Your marriage right now is on attack. If you're married in this room, your marriage is on attack. Your future marriage is under attack. The enemy wants to damage you in such a way that it affects your future marriage if you are single in this room. He is after you. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus' response is so classic in this. I love how Jesus responded to their questions because he didn't really answer the question. He instead asked another question. He says, well, what did Moses say? I love that. It's so like savage of Jesus. Like, it's just, what did Moses say? 
Like, you're bringing up Moses, you're bringing up this, you know, certificate of divorce. Like, what did Moses say? And the response was like, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And then Jesus said, he did that because of their hardness of heart. He did that because they were stubborn, unrepentant, and wouldn't change. And Jesus says, you know what, you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24 but I'm going to take you all the way back to Genesis 2, to the real intention of marriage, to the original intention. Because there was this law in Jewish tradition that permitted divorce, but it wasn't what God originally had in mind. And so Jesus goes back to Genesis 2. And I love this, because he goes back not to the time of Moses, but he goes back to the original. He goes back to the beginning, in the garden, And one of the lies that is believed today by many people is that Jesus never talked about marriage, Jesus never talked about sexuality, Jesus never talked about homosexuality, but it's like here, right in Mark chapter 10, he does. He speaks clearly in a world of confusion, he speaks clearly on marriage. And that is what is needed in the church today. There's so much confusion in the world, there's actually not, not even talking about the world, there's so much confusion in the church about marriage, and there doesn't need to be. There doesn't need to be because Jesus speaks so clearly. And he said this, he says, From the beginning, in verse 6, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I love that. He said, from the very beginning, he made them male and female. Two sexes. Male and female. Male and female. Now, with that, within those two sexes, He made many different types of males and many different types of females. And the reason I bring that up is because it is so important for us to to realize, like, not all men are hunters and fishers. Fishermen. Fishers? That's not right. There's a variety of men that you see in Scripture. There's artists that were unleashed to design the tabernacle. There were those burly guys that went out and killed, you know, thousands, you know, in, in the, in the, in, in battles. There's all different types of men and there's all different types of women that you see in Scripture. There is a danger we face when we say all men should look like this or all women should look like that. I mean, look at us in this body of Christ. There's so much variety. I look around you in this room, there's so much variety. I mean, look, we have Barry up here. There's so much variety. You know, Barry and who he is, and I love his personality. I love who he is, and, and the, the bus driver, and the, the person that will speak, and just like, he'll go up to a, a stranger and just have a conversation. And I love those who, uh, who sit quietly by, and are different personalities. You know, there are men in this room that will go and, and hunt and kill animals and all of that stuff, and there are those who are artists in this room. There are women in this room that stay at home with their kids, and, 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 and that is awesome, and that is absolutely amazing, and such a, a, a wonderful position that the Lord has put them in. And there are also women in this room that are crushing it in the workplace and being phenomenal out there. The problem that we have when it comes to marriage in this is too often we can look at our marriage and, hey, male and female, and we can start wishing that our husband or our wife was someone different than God created them to be. God created your husband or your wife with a certain personality. We have to stop comparing and stop complaining and start celebrating. Start celebrating the gifting that God has given your husband or your wife to honor them, 
to respect them, to love them. God, thank you. Thank you. I'll just be specific. Like, Cece is messier than me. But the vision that the Lord has given her and how she's able to think about big things, God, I thank you for that. I thank you for, for that gifting that you've given to her in, in, our, in our life. I'm the neat one. I can take care of that. Like, I need that in my life. I need that visionary. Like, we have to stop complaining about our spouses and start celebrating who God created them to be. I love that Jesus went back to Genesis 2. And I want to flip there. If you can flip in your Bibles to Genesis 2. I think it is so important that Jesus went back to Genesis 2, and then we're going to end in Ephesians 5 with what Paul said. Because he goes back to something that is eternal. He goes back to something that was in the beginning. See, our culture always wants the new and sexy idea. What we need to anchor our life to is something that is eternal, something that has always been true. And this is what Jesus brings us back to. And he goes back to Genesis 2, verse 15. I love this. This is back in the garden. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. We're going to talk more about that next week. But then God said, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I just have to pause there. Like, it is not good that the man is alone. It doesn't mean that, like, creation was wrong here. It was incomplete. Like, man was alone. He was isolated. It is never good when somebody is isolated, when somebody is alone. That's why I think we, as a body of Christ, need to constantly be pursuing others, just as Christ has pursued us, to go after people. It's not good that people are alone. If there is somebody that you know is alone, I so strongly encourage you to text them, reach out to them. Hey, I see you. Like, what's going on? It's not good that they're alone. And then goes on to say, I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not, a, not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took... And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with its flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This was a creative work of God. It's like, here, I'm going to make this woman, and I'm going to bring them together, and they will be one flesh. It says they will leave their father and mother. They will leave that, that, that primary relationship that they have known for a long time. They will leave that behind and be joined to their husband. The husband will be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. You know, it's so interesting. It says they will leave their father and mother behind. This is a challenge for those who have adult kids who are entering that age when they will leave father and mother behind. This is just a little side challenge. How can we set them up to leave well? 
We often ask questions to uh, couples that are, that are getting married, and we ask them to ask their parents this question. It's up on the screen. It's a question of how do we leave well? Because so often I have seen while they leave the, the, the house, they still stay strongly attached to their mom and dad. Or the mom and dad will stay strongly attached to them and won't allow them to leave well. If you have kids that are in the age of, of marrying age, ask them the question, like, how do we leave you well? Like, how, how do we release you to do this well? But then it goes on and says, they will leave their father and mother, and they will hold fast. They will become glued. They will become joined together and become one flesh. And there is the power of marriage. Two people not living their lives separately under the one roof, but two becoming one. Two becoming one. It's so powerful. It's not good that, that, that people are alone, that a man is alone. Uh, you know, one person by themselves is stranded. Two are better than one. You can't do everything on your own. That's one thing that I realized. I can't do everything on my own. Cece is a gift to me. Your spouse is a gift to you. I go back to, to Genesis 2 where it says there wasn't a suitable helper that was found for him. And every time we've talked to um, a woman about like, what do you think about that word helper? They're like, oh, I don't like that word helper. Until you understand this word helper is a powerful word. It's a powerful word that means um, the one who comes to the rescue of another. Think about that. Eve came to the rescue of Adam came to the rescue. I know I needed somebody to come to my rescue and help me in life. Two are better than one. There's such a power when it comes to marriage, when two people are going in the same direction, when people are joined together, one moving in the same direction. I have this uh, oar up here that my friend Matt made, um, and I love this. It's such, in my opinion, such a picture of marriage. He hand makes these out of, uh, out of wood, obviously, um, and usually he uses uh, multiple pieces of wood and he glues them together because he said two are better or stronger when you glue them together, they're, they're stronger than one. But I love this picture of marriage because if, if, this is being, if this is being used in the proper way, like two ends, these two ends moving together, there's power. There's more power in the two than there is in the one. This is the power of marriage. Two are better than one. Two, when they're living their lives together. But what would happen if this or got an attitude and said, I wanted to go this direction and this one wanted to go this direction? This thing would snap and there would be carnage everywhere. The power of marriage is when we're moving in the same direction, together, respecting each other's gifting. There's power in marriage, but there's also purpose in marriage. Powerful purpose in marriage. Flip to Ephesians 5. You will notice that we're reading the same words from three different places in Scripture. And I think that is so important because Scripture is so clear on marriage and consistent on marriage. But here as Paul is writing in Ephesians 5, he adds one thing, the purpose of marriage. He says, Therefore a man, in verse 31, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And then he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In verse 32, Paul says, uh, this is a mystery. This marriage thing is a, a mystery. Paul, as a single guy, he's like, marriage is a mystery, but here is the purpose of marriage. It's a picture of how Christ and the church is one. The purpose of your marriage is not just to live a happy life, even though we want that. The purpose of your marriage is to give this world a picture of God's love for us in Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. He says your marriage can be deeply missional. The way that you love for one another, the way that you care for one another, the way that you serve each other can point others to Christ, can give this world a picture of God's unconditional love for us in Christ. And so as you go throughout this week, as you reflect on your marriage, as you talk with your spouses, I want you to ask this question. What is the point and purpose of your marriage? What is the purpose of your marriage? Or maybe even it ask, this, ask it this way. As you get to the end of your life, what do you want to be known for? What do you want your marriage to be known for? And maybe those of you here that are, are well into your marriage, what is the point and purpose of your marriage at this age, at your age right now? Have a conversation. See, the purpose of our marriage isn't just to go through life and be like, oh yeah, I'll hunky-dory. The purpose of our lives, whether we're married or not, is to point others to God. To give the world an accurate picture of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. I want to end here. I know that as we talk about marriage, as we talk about marriage, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt. And you could even have the, on the outside, the healthiest marriage, but inside there's pain and there's hurt. Because I know in any relationship, whenever problems arise, it's the result of sin. Sin in my life, sin in your life, sin in someone's life. Sin causes pain. And this is what was so countercultural with what Jesus was saying at the end of that section that I read. He said if a, a man um, leaves his, his wife, he commits adultery. And if a woman leaves her husband she, and marries another, she commits adultery. This was so countercultural because in that culture, the culture would say, their world would say, that it was only the wife who could commit adultery. They put it all on the woman. And Jesus says, no, there's sin all around. Both sin. Both can cause pain. But here is the hope. Here is where we can find healing for those deep hurts in our heart. I go to another time when Jesus was interacting with a woman that he found at a well. She had gone there in the middle of the day. She'd gone there in the middle of the day because she wanted to be alone. She didn't want anybody to see her because people ripped on her. People would have ridiculed her. Why? Because she had been married five times and the man that she was with at that time wasn't her husband. So there she was in all of her brokenness. All of her brokenness at the well. And Jesus approaches her. And long story short, her encounter with Jesus led her to run back to the people that ridiculed her and she told them about the healing that she had experienced at the well. The pain that you have experienced from marriage, the pain that you have experienced from relationships, 
Maybe the pain that you have caused or the, the pain that was caused towards you. The only one who can heal that is Jesus. And I would ask you and invite you with this question, where do you need Jesus to heal your heart? Where do you need Jesus to heal your heart? Maybe you have suffered a broken relationship. Maybe you have, someone has hurt you. Maybe you have caused the pain. Where does Jesus need to heal your heart? Maybe you have lost a loved one. And maybe you're just talking about marriage. There's, I know there's people in this room that, that have lost a loved one and, and you're, you're grief because you miss your spouse. Jesus wants to heal your heart. Maybe you're frustrated with your current spouse. And you're like, they, they would only do this or that. Where does Jesus need to soften your heart and heal your heart towards them? Or maybe you became one with somebody before you became one with them before God. You had sex before you were married. There is a closeness that happens between a husband and wife in marriage and sexual intimacy that was God reserved for marriage. And outside of that causes a lot of pain. But I know Jesus wants to heal your heart. And so here's what I want to do. I want us just for 30 seconds, as a worship team comes up, and we're just going to sing this song worthy of it all, because Jesus is worthy of every part of our lives, including our relationships. I want you to ask and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Where does Jesus need to heal your heart? Where does he need to soften your heart? He wants so much for your life. And so, Holy Spirit, I invite you now to speak. There can be so much pain. But Jesus, I thank you and I praise you that you are the healer.